please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Two, one. Hello, this is Greg McIntyre, Elder Law Attorney, along with Estate Planning and Elder Law Attorney Brenton Begley. And we are here from the McIntyre Elder Law Podcast Studio to record the Elder Law Report. And today's topic is about how you own your property. You know, Britton, I know you just wrote an article about this. You've been doing a lot of research on it. I, you know, I, I have a pretty, pretty deep history in property law and those things. And I don't know, just as I'm sitting at home listening on the podcast or the radio, I'm thinking, what do you mean, how do I own my property? I've got a deed to my property. I'm on my property, or if I own it with my wife, or you know, we're both on the property, or if I own it with my kids, we're on all on the property. So why does that even matter? Right. Why should I even care? Yeah, you know, property ownership is is a very specific thing. Just because your name's on a deed doesn't mean you necessarily understand the nature of the property ownership. So number one, a lot of um, there's a lot of mis conceptions about how you may own property, right? So I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't own my property. You know, the bank owns my property. And that's not actually true because bank might have a security interest in the property, might have a mortgage that's been given to them on the property. However, um, they don't own that. You have a deed in your name reflecting your ownership of the property if you've purchased that thing. So, um, you know, that's one thing I want to, I want to get out of, out of the way there, you know, in, in, and really that deed is a, is reflective of your, of your ownership interest in that property. Okay. And I mean that because you can own a property hundred percent, 50%, 1%, 0. 0.1%. You can have a lifetime interest in property. You know, you can own just the mineral rights of a property or maybe just a right of way or an easement over property. So there's many ways that you can own a piece of, of real estate or have some type of interest in a piece of real estate other than just sole what's called fee simple ownership, so 100% ownership. And this is a very important thing when it comes to some of the concerns that we have as elder law attorneys, as estate planning attorneys, about avoiding probate, about protecting assets, right? So it's important to know what your interest in the property is before you can know whether or not that property is going to go through probate or it's subject to risk of like Medicaid being able to take it. So let's just say that I own a property outright. Okay. I'm, I'm a single guy. Right. And, but I do have a few kids. Right. Okay. Let's say I'm a widower. Okay. Understood. And I have a few children. The, the property is just in my name. Is that property going to pass? I think we need to define probate really briefly as well. Right. Is it going to pass through probate and what the heck is probate? Right. So, um, without, without setting the deed up in some way or, or let's just say it's just in your name, the deed's just in your name. Okay. If you pass away, that property will absolutely have to go through the probate process to get to your heirs. The probate process is the process by which and the seedings assets get out to the air. So the question I hear a lot is, I've got a will, I'm not going to go to probate. Yeah, so that's that's very wrong, right? Okay. And, and so, understandable because, you know, 
Um, if, if you don't know about the probate process, then, then you wouldn't know that a will doesn't keep you out of probate. A will is going to just going to be a document that guides you through the probate process, but probate is a default process. You don't have to go through it if you prearrange how those assets that you own, property, a vehicle, bank account, is, is supposed to pass. A will does not prearrange how something is supposed to pass. It, it doesn't take place until after you pass away. So the process by which things are, like my, my house, yeah, my real estate process by which non prearranged assets, assets that are not prearranged are, are passing, right? So, gotcha. so because you didn't prearrange them, you know, the court has to figure out, okay, how'd you own it? Right. You know, how much of it did you own? Do you own any, own anything on it? Do you own any other creditors that you could use like a piece of property to pay them off? So if my Who house goes through my will, you, well, what you're saying is creditors, if I owe any money, mm -hmm. What if I've had nursing home care for a couple of years, right. a few years, let's say Medicaid pay, they'll let you keep your house even if you're on Medicaid to pay for, for nursing home care, right? Right. During your life. During your but life. then if it has to pass through the probate process, doesn't that mean I have a lien hanging out there that I owe Medicaid? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they could, the house could get gone really quick because Medicaid is going to want any money they paid out back. The nursing home is going to want the... Uh, money that they're owed from, you know, whatever they get out. And the way that they're going to get it is to go after any asset, including property that's passing through that probate process. And that's their only opportunity really to get that for that single male that you're, you're describing. That's, that's really their only opportunity. Or single female, right? Yeah. Single person. Yeah, single yeah. person. That, that, you know, that probate process is, is that only opportunity they have to go after it. So if you avoid probate with those assets, I mean, that's huge. Because you've taken their opportunity. I have to go through my will then and probate because I don't have long-term care insurance. And what if I need nursing home care? Right. right how, exactly. how can I set the, so there's different ways I can own this thing. There's different ways you can own it. I can own the house so that it avoids probate. Yeah, absolutely. It still goes to my kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So an important thing to understand is that, you know, when a married couple owns, owns property in North Carolina, um, typically they own it, what's called tenants by the entireties, and that's just an old antiquated term for you're married and you own property together. So that means that whenever one of you die, the survivor gets that property automatically. Just it passes automatically, no probate process. It's already prearranged. So you and your spouse both own it 100%. That's right. Which the math seems weird, right? The logic on there seems that's weird. That's like 200% worth of property. <laughs> Yeah, but the idea is that you're in unity as a married couple. You're one right. under the law, so you both own it 100%. So um, there is no... That's not no, what my wife says, Brittany. Yeah, right. <laughs> my wife said that she owns everything I own. That's right. It was mine is mine, was yours is mine, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, so she has like 200% ownership of everything That's right. So I'm not sure how that math works out. Anyway, go ahead. Well, yeah, you know, that, so property doesn't pass when one spouse dies, and that's important because there's no process to go through. Well, property absolutely doesn't pass. It just, it stays within the ownership that it's already in because that surviving spouse already owns it 100%. So nothing actually happens. There's no actual... So they can't get it there. They can't get it there. When, it when it passes to my spouse. They can't get it there. Because of automatic... So do I have to go to the courthouse to do anything yeah, to make that happen? You don't have to it's do just, anything. It's just automatic. That's right. You don't have to change the deed in any way. It's, it's automatic. And, and what's important to know is that property that you buy or that is conveyed to you 
with your spouse's name on it is held as tenants by the entireties. If you own property in the marriage, or I'm sorry, before the marriage, and you enter into the marriage, and you don't put your spouse's name on that property, then it's not owned tenants by the entireties, and it could be subject to probate, depending on how, whether or not you set anything else up. Sure, yeah, I, I imagine it would be subject to probate to pass through my will, or if I don't have a will, the That's state right. has a will for me, right? Right. The laws of intestate succession. That's right. And our our legislators have <laughs> taken care of us, right? That's right. They they know best. They know best. Yes. <laughs> so so there's a state's will that would pass probably part of it to my wife, right? And part of it to my kids, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's the way. I might want all of it to go to my wife, so I'm going to have a a will there or another mechanism. Again, you know, I'm getting confused because I don't want my property, my house or yeah. real estate yeah. to be taken because exactly. of some long-term care incident that's not my fault. So in that, in that respect, okay, you have, you have spouses together who own property, it avoids probate then. So rest assured that, you know, you have that protection. But the idea, um, you know, is, hey, I don't want to just protect it from me and my spouse, I want to protect it from my kids or whoever I want to leave it to. Man, I've got property that, uh, you know, could benefit generations, yeah. uh, you know, or, or that grandkids could live on. Yeah. Or, you You're know, leg up. Maybe it they can be sold. I mean, yeah. it can be sold to send, send one of my grandchildren to college. Right. So, That'd be huge. so the idea is if you want to preserve that legacy, that ability to pass that to the next generation, then you also want to keep it out of probate. There's ways that you can do that. So one way that you can do it is you can set it up with a life estate deed. And a life estate deed is a, is a very interesting tool. It's a pre-planning tool. And we say that a lot. I mean, um, we say that it's something that you want to use for pre-planning. In fact, the first time I heard that was, was from you. Well, I was going to ask you that question. So okay. the first time I ever heard that was from you. So what do you mean about pre-planning and why is a life estate deed a good thing for pre-planning, but maybe something that you might not want to use, you know, for a main residence or in a pinch. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, so good question. You know, I call it a traditional life estate deed. Right. That's to separate it from an enhanced life estate deed, like a ladybird deed. That's right. right? Nicknamed the ladybird deed. So, so a traditional life estate deed is not a ladybird. Okay. Right. So those are two separate things. Very different. Traditional life estate deeds been used, been around for a long time, literally hundreds of years. Yeah. So the England. Yeah, it's common law. Yeah. Right? Passed down from jolly old England. That's right. And um, you know, if I, my wife and I, could reserve a life estate in our home or any other piece of real estate, and then on, and then put our kids on there as the grantees. Yeah. Our six children. And then automatically, when the last one of our wife and I pass away, it goes from our ownership and control to theirs, to right. the children's, automatically, by operation of law, without doing anything else. Right. Not to do anything else. So that's an automatic thing. It does not go through probate. North Carolina is not what's called an expanded recovery state, a state. Expanded recovery state. So the estate, right, the estate, cannot go reach outside of um, itself, right? Can't go outside the estate and property that's passing through the estate to pull that life estate deed property in to pay bills, to pay 
pay a lien. Right, any claims. Any claims. Yeah. And that's what I'm worried about are claims. You know, I'm worried about that 90-day period where you publish the estate in the paper if I pass away for four consecutive weeks and then wait 90 days for any liens to come in. Right. The reason I'm worried about that is because it could force the sale of any property, real estate, other property that's going through the estate, and then our family loses it. Well, and it just you know, gets paid back to the man. And, and, it gets paid back to the state. I'm getting on my side. Well, here, here's something that I've heard too. Is a lot of people might respond to that and say, well, I don't have any creditors. What are we talking about? I'll pay my bills. So here's why I call it a plan ahead tool. Okay. okay. I'm going to ask, and I ask this to clients. When are you going to have a major healthcare event? I ask them when I am. I'm like, hey, you know when I'm going to have a major healthcare event and need assisted living university home care? No idea. Yeah, you don't know. I don't know. And if you've got a crystal ball, I'll hire you on the spot. <laughs> I will pay you whatever I have, okay? If you have a crystal ball and you know the future, all right? Because none of us do. Right. We can guess. We can look at family history. We also make excuses that we tell ourselves all the time to keep from doing the planning or spending the money we need to spend to protect ourselves. Right. That's what we do. We lie to ourselves or we ignore the truth. If you're sitting in the United States of America in North Carolina right now and you don't have long-term care insurance, I guarantee you there's a good chance that if you have to go to assisted living or nursing home care, you have a good chance of spending down everything you've made during your life and selling off your properties one by one to pay for that care, then being able to affordably pay for it. How about that? Or, or be able to, to pay for it or stomach that, that situation at all. I, I see it all the time. People get decimated and wiped out by long-term care. Right. The problem is there are benefits out there to pay for long-term care, even if you don't have long-term care insurance. Medicaid can pay for long-term care. Right. But you have to, if you're using a life estate, you have to plan ahead to make that happen. So because there are look-back periods for the Medicaid program, five years for nursing home care, three years for assisted living care. So you have to put that life estate in place outside of that look-back period. Right. That way you don't get in a situation where you do lose everything you've had your entire life that you've worked to acquire, the money that you paid back the bank, which was three times the, the amount you actually gave for the house with interest to the bank, right? Right. And then in the end, to get a benefit, you also took half the money you worked for and made your entire life and paid the tax plan, right? Right. And taxes to pay for Medic the Medicaid benefit, right? The, the state, either Medicaid wants it back, yeah. wants your house back too, right? right? Um, it's a tough system. Yeah. And it is a system. Don't think you're not living in some kind of matrix or system that's <laughs> designed to recoup and take advantage of the fact that we're living longer and that we might need long-term care. Yeah, yeah. No, it is a system and it is designed to recoup everything you've got. It is, I mean, if you look at the cost of care, Five to ten thousand dollars a month. You look at the fact that seventy percent of individuals over sixty-five will need some type of long-term care at some point in their lives, and then you look at the fact that if they get Medicaid, a system that they paid into their whole lives, 
to pay for care, then Medicaid has a right to take that property back. I mean, that's just mind blowing. What? Who benefits from this, really? And, the, and they, you know, they feel it's perfectly justified, right? And right. They're entitled to it. Right. So here's, here's, I guess, a burning question for for the listeners would be, okay, well, all right. What if I don't have a crystal ball? What if I don't have three to five years to make it past that look back period? And I want to protect my house right now. Well, there are answers to you. And one would be a ladybird deed. Right. That's one way to do it. That enhanced life estate. Enhanced life estate. So we build off the framework. We say, wait, let's improve this thing. Okay. Right. So we build off the framework of a life estate deed, literally. I, I think I've been like a car chassis or something, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're taking a tried and true, proven, you know, car chassis, the engine and everything else, but you're souping it up, right? You're building off that framework of a life estate deed and you're, you're putting some extra, extra sauce in there, okay? Right. To kick it up a notch. Some mouse. Some mouse. <laughs> to kick it up a notch. And it provides an instant protection on your home. Right. And it passes the property outside of probate where it can be recouped. So instead of having to wait the look back period, instead of starting that look back clock ticking, when you use the life estate deed, a ladybird deed or enhanced life estate deed would provide instant protection. That's right. Because that enhanced life estate deed is saying, hey, look, this person's on this property as a beneficiary. I'm not giving them any interest in the property right now. In fact, I'm not even giving them the the right to get the property until I pass away. And I can also change who should get that property after I pass away. So let's say I put my child on there and God forbid my child were to predecease me and I say, okay, I don't want it to go to my child's spouse. For whatever reason, I want it to go straight to, you know, another child, maybe a kid that uh, my child had before they passed away, right? I could change that grantee or as I like to call them, beneficiary on that deed and have it go to that person instead. And I can do that as I wish at any point because I have total control over that property. I can still do whatever I want with that property because I haven't given anything away. And that's why it doesn't trigger that look back period for Medicaid, that three to five year look back period, because that look back period is triggered when you give something away. So if you do a life estate deed, you're giving an interest away in that property right now. And that's the right to, to get that property when the life tenant, right? The person who's going to live there for the rest of their life dies. That's what you get in a life estate deed if you're given that other interest, that remainder interest, the right to get it whenever that life tenant passes away. And what's incredibly important about that is that they're giving something that they can't change without the consent of the person they gave it to. Right? So, so at that time that that deed is signed, a gift is given, an interest in property is conveyed. The difference with a life estate deed, a traditional life estate deed and a labor deed is that that interest in property is not conveyed at the signing of the deed, it's conveyed at the death of the person who owns that property. Right. And that's incredibly important. So Medicaid recognizes that and they say, okay, no gift has been given. So you didn't trigger a look back period. So you so kept your home. It's not a asset transfer from those Medicaid. That's right. You've kept, your home. Look back period. You've kept your home because you can keep it under Medicaid. 
Yep. You've, you've successfully avoided probate between you and your spouse and whoever you want to leave it to, a third party, right? Sure. You have a kid, grandkid, or, you know, someone off the street. Who cares? It's going to that person, it's passing to them instantaneously, and Medicaid can't go after that property. Any other probate creditor can't go after that property because it avoids probate. Right? So that's the beauty of that enhanced life estate deed. As opposed to Let me ask using you, a regular life If estate. I came to you and I wanted to avoid probate right. with all my assets, real estate, you know, we're talking about deeds, so real estate, everything, investments, yeah. everything I have. Could you help me avoid probate and make it easy on my kids, spouse and kids, yeah. wife and kids? Could you make it where, you know, my, it would avoid probate and also maybe help me hedge against that long-term care situation where, where I've got a shot at keeping all my hard-earned money and property and, right. and, and not having to sell them. So if I have to need nursing home care or if I need nursing home care. Absolutely. So it, depending on where you're at in life, your asset level, what might be appropriate for you and is appropriate for a lot of people is a trust, specifically perhaps an irrevocable trust, which mm-hmm. can help you first qualify for long-term care because it takes those assets out of your name. So when Medicaid looks at what you got, they say, okay, you don't have anything because it's all in an irrevocable trust. And then those, all those assets in the irrevocable trust, they pass outside of probate instantaneously to your loved ones whenever you pass away. Now, what's important about that is the irrevocable trust is also a pre-planning tool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of people think to themselves, well, okay, if I put these assets in a, in an irrevocable trust and you're telling me that is going to trigger the look back period. Well, I don't want to do that because people like you, elder law attorney, have drilled into my head that I shouldn't be triggering that look back period. Well, that is true in a sense, right? You want to try to generally avoid triggering the look back period unless, unless you do it strategically. You're planning ahead. That's right. So really what you're doing with the year of the trust, like if I just gave my home away, then after five years, I'm not going to qualify for Medicaid because I still have all this other stuff that's going to keep me from qualifying, right? I have a bank account, vehicles, maybe life insurance over the, the amount that I can have. So point is, is with a trust, you put everything in there, then after the five years is up, after the three years is up, you automatically qualify for Medicaid. So it's not such a bad thing to get that clock ticking right now. And I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you if you'll make it past that three to five years. But the thing is, is you... You might make it four years. And let's say, if I put my investments in an irrevocable trust, you said, I mean, if I heard you correctly, I can still draw income. I can oh, yeah. still have income. Off Certainly, that you can income. still you can still draw income off that off that money. And it's important that you can still benefit from that. It's not just locked away or tied up. Right. But but the idea is, you know, let me just say that a lot of people's worry might be that, hey, let's say I make it four years. We're working on a five year look back here, and I only make it four years, and I have to pay out of pocket. Right. I don't quite make it. What happens then? Well, that means you have to pay out of pocket for one year. Until it locks up? It right. locks up at the end of the five years, right? Well, it, essentially, your past look back period, Medicaid will start paying out. So, sure. so it, it might be unfortunate to pay for long-term care for one year, but one year as opposed to an indefinite amount of time is quite a bit better, right? Sure. It, it, it's quite a bit better. So by triggering that look back period sooner rather than later with the use of the irrevocable trust that you can still benefit from, you can protect the assets and hedge against your exposure with respect to having to pay for long-term care, even if you don't make it all three to five years 
What if I'm not ready to give up control of my assets, but I want to go ahead and establish a trust. I want to avoid probate and have beneficiaries on the trust, but I want to have the, is there a trust that allows me to control it now? And then I can make it irrevocable whenever I want to? Certainly. So we've created for our clients something special called the convertible trust. And it's, it works exactly like it sounds. It starts out revocable where you have total power, dominion, and control over that trust. You can put things in, you can take things out. But it's, it's there to automatically convert to an irrevocable trust if something were to happen to you where you might need some type of long-term care in the immediate future. So if you become, you know, disabled, some contract some type of debilitating disease, um, become incapacitated for an indefinite amount of time or put in, in, in a facility for an indefinite amount of time or become incompetent, yes. Then that trust will automatically become irrevocable to lock down essentially the assets where you can still certainly benefit from the income from the trust, but you won't be subject to the, you know, risk that you would if those assets were not irrevocable. Sure. Trust. So that's something I'm very proud that we have um, as a convertible trust in a lot of our You work very hard to draft and create that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that's, if, if you're going to ask me how we protect um, assets, you know, all together in just one package and avoid probate with it, that's how I would do it. And, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of that, about that. I know we started talking about deeds. We started um, out talking about deeds today. Thank you, everyone out there for joining us. This is our weekly show, The Elder Law Report, brought to you from the studios at McIntyre Elder Law. I'm attorney, estate planning, and Elder Law attorney, Greg McIntyre, the Elder Law guy, here with Brenton Bailey, um, estate planning and Elder Law attorney, who is my law partner. And if you want to schedule a free consult to talk about these things, give us a call at 888-999-6600 or Schedule online at mcelderlaw.com. That's mcelderlaw.com. Can you cut that out? That was good. I started that talking good. really fast, but I wanted to get all that in. You know, um, I think you did a great job. Thanks, man. So stop. I think we're talking. We put off planning till things get slow Tomorrow's never promised today Don't get too busy and let it all slip away Please don't wait till it's too late Call McIntyre Elder Law Foundational planning or more complex We can help when you're perplexed If a loved one needs long-term care We can help avoid some of the scare Please don't wait till it's too late Call McIntyre Elder Law State planning benefits and even probate we take the planning piece off your plate If you or your spouse were in the military We can help with benefits for your family Please don't wait till it's too late Call McIntyre Elder Law